let's bow our heads together. Let's just take a moment and quiet our hearts, whatever this week has been like uh, for each and every one of us. We can remember and understand that God is on his throne, that he's seated there right now. He's completely sovereign, completely in control, that he's worthy of our worship, that he has chosen to love us strengthen us, to equip us, to empower us. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize that you indeed are God alone. There is no other God. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You rule over the whole universe, God. You are our creator. You are our sustainer. And Heavenly Father, your presence is so clearly here, and we worship you in this place, and we want right now, as we open your word, we want you to speak to us. We want you to powerfully communicate your word, your truth to us, Lord. Not merely to speak to our minds, God, but please to speak to our hearts. Lord, we help. We ask that you would help us, Lord, to walk in your ways, to delight in your truth, to truly worship you and know you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. You can open up your Bibles to Psalm 47. You know, when I was a kid uh, playing street hockey out on my road uh, in front of my house when I was younger with a tennis ball and a plastic blade, I used to sort of uh, imagine myself, you know, in the seventh game of the Stanley Cup final and taking a pass off my skate and, and dividing the defense and then lifting up the water bottle, shooting it top corner to win the game. And, and, then, and then imagining myself celebrating and hearing the roar of the crowd. Maybe it was, maybe it was you, maybe it was the, the NBA finals, making that last shot at the end, and the, your team grabs you and you're imagining on the crowd going wild. Maybe you were dreaming about with your hairbrush in front of the mirror like you're a rock star and you're thinking about the roar of the crowd. Ever since we were all little kids, it wasn't just enough to score the goal. We wanted, we celebrated, we fantasized about people cheering for us, celebrating us, applauding us. And it's, it's really not that different. We, we want our employers to celebrate our job or our customers to celebrate a job well done. We want our, our teachers and our professors to, to celebrate our successes. We want our family members to, to recognize us, to applaud us. And I mean, if it's social media, it's so, so tangible. It's right there in front of us. We want people to, to like what we post or to, to follow us. We're, we're, we're longing for other people to clap their hands, to applaud. The Bible helps correct that desire inside each and every one of us because the applause of others may feel exhilarating in the moment, but like so many things in this world, so many pleasures that we seek after here on earth, it fades away so quickly. We're so confused, aren't we, why our celebrities are so miserable. They're so famous, so many people love them, everyone cheers for them, that's what we want, and we don't understand why they're so, well, they're so miserable, because applause is never satisfying. You see, we were not designed, we were not made to receive praise and applause and a standing ovation. We were designed and created to give praise. And that's what Psalm 47 is all about. 
Psalm 47 reads this way. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud shouts of joy. The idea there is that God is worthy of praise and that we will only ever find true satisfaction and fulfillment in Him. Verse 2 goes on to say, For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued the peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king. Sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Psalm 47 radically reorients a problem that all of us have. This desire that we should receive praise. Meanwhile, true satisfaction only comes when we ourselves give praise. It tells us that we're supposed to give praise to God and it outlines reasons why we should praise him. Just take a look at the structure of the psalm with me. Verse 1, there's, a, there's this call to worship. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God. This invitation that everyone, the whole world should be involved in worshiping and praising, clapping their hands, shouting for joy. Then verse 2 begins with the word for or because. This is the reason why we're supposed to praise him. Then look down at verse 6. Again, sing praises, another invitation, another call to worship. And then verse 7, for, another because, another reason. So there's two points in our outline today because there's really two stanzas in this psalm as we look at it. There, there's, there's this invitation to worship God and then two reasons why we ought to worship him. The first one is this. We worship the king because he subdued the nations to bless his people. He subdued the nations to bless his people. That's one of the reasons why this psalm says that we should be praising God. Let, let's go back to verse 1, though, and look at how we're supposed to praise God. We are commanded to clap our hands. We are commanded to shout for joy. You know, I, I grew up in sort of a, a stale kind of traditional church, and I don't, I don't mean to offend anyone, but it just it never really made sense to me in the middle of a worship service when they would respeat, speak to one another responsively where the, the worship leader would say something and then the people would say something. And the worship leader was like mildly enthusiastic, but then the people out in the crowd would be like, clap your hands, all people. Shout for joy to the ends of the earth. It's just, there, there's, it, it's incongruent. There's such, a, there's such a disconnect, isn't there, between what's being said and, and how it is being said. And here at Harvest, we encourage enthusiastic, heartfelt, sincere, loud worship. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions. I mentioned a traditional church. I'm not against traditional worship. I'm not against the style of song or how old the song is or how new the song is or how many instruments. The main concern that God seems to have is volume. He's up there saying, crank it up. And we're not, he's not just talking to the sound guy to turn up the speakers. No, the people's voices should be what we should be hearing in worship. God wants us to praise him with loud shouts, with loud songs of joy. And then the reason, verse 2, 
For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. Notice how joy and fear go together so harmoniously here. Have you ever noticed that in life, the things that bring us true joy, the things that truly exhilarate us with lasting joy, are also a little bit scary? Trying something new for the first time, so scary, but it, it ends up being so fulfilling, so, so joyful. Jumping off a, a cliff into a cold lake, that, that's, 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 it's so joyful, it's so amazing, it's such a rush, but it's scary. Getting down on your knee with a, with a ring and asking a beautiful woman to marry you and to spend the rest of your life, that's so scary. Is she going to say, yes, how's this all going to work? But it's what brings you joy. Everything worth doing is scary. And so there's, there's no disconnect between worshiping with joy and understanding that God is a God to be feared. The King James translates that, that, that word feared is that God is terrible. Now I don't mean Charles Barkley terrible. Charles Barkley terrible is that guy can't reap, that guy's terrible, he's terrible. Charles Barkley terrible is that you, you're not any good, it's, it's weak, it's poor, it's pathetic. No, terrible in the King James sense is that God is so amazing that he strikes terror in people that enter into his presence or even contemplate his greatness. The, the NIV, I think, really nails it when they translate it, that the Lord Most High is awesome. How awesome is the Lord Most High. He, he causes us to stand in awe of him, terror of him, a healthy fear, a reverence for who he is. Says the Lord, the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Again, verse 1 said, all the peoples, then all the earth, the whole planet is invited to praise God. And then this is how God showed his great power in verse 3. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. These are the people of Israel looking back at how God had subdued nations, a nation like Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at the time, and then boils on their faces and frogs in their beds and, bur and, and, and bugs flying everywhere. God brought the most powerful nation to its knees. It crippled them. He subdued the nation. And then they left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, they wandered through the wilderness, and they came to the land of Canaan. And it was time for more nations to be subdued. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perivites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, one after the other, were subdued. They were put under the feet of God's people in verse 3. All for the purpose of them Entering into the promised land. That's what verse 4 is about. He chose our heritage or our inheritance. This is what God had set aside, what he had promised to Abraham generations earlier. He chose our heritage for us. It's the pride of Jacob, the pride of the people of Israel, the land that they were to look at. They, that was their glory and what they took their pride in, what God had provided for them. And Israel there is referred to as Jacob, and it says, Jacob, whom he loves. So the promise was made to Abraham. He was sort of the man of great faith. And then Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac was that obedient son who, who, who was willing to, to, to be sacrificed by his father until God stepped in and provided the sacrifice. And then you have Jacob, who's one of the sons 
of Isaac. And it's interesting how uh, sometimes the people of Israel are referred to as Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. And so, and so um, Jacob's new name Israel became the name for the nation. But every time and again, in the Psalms in particular, it refers to the whole country as Jacob. And this is why, that, this is why I believe that, that happens. Uh, because it's a miracle that it says here that Jacob is someone whom God loves. Because there wasn't very much that was lovely about Jacob. He wasn't the most lovable guy. Last week I said that he was a greasy grit grinder. That he was manipulative, he was a liar, he was a cheat, he was, he, he, he was a thief. And he tried to live like he was in control. And it wasn't until God showed up in his life and he wrestled with God and God dislocated his hip so that he walked with a limp to sort of humble him to know that he wasn't in control. Jacob had spent all of his life hustling and running and running from this enemy and running from that enemy. And God gave him a limp and said, no, you're going to have to trust me and lean on me from now on because I love you. God loves the unlovable. Jacob's descendants, I mean, the, the, Jacob's 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. They weren't much better. I mean, they get rescued from Egypt, and now they find themselves at the Red Sea, and they turn on Moses and start complaining to God, saying, you brought us out here to kill us. And then God miraculously parts the Red Sea. And then so they walk through the Red Sea, they find themselves in the wilderness, and now they have no water. And they say, you brought us out here to kill us. I mean, a day earlier, they had a water problem, too much water. Now they got a water problem, there's not enough. And every time they say, God, you're the worst. And yet God still loved them. And then even when they received this heritage, even when they got this inheritance, when the nations were subdued, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, none of their gods could save them because God is the king of the earth. And he was the one who subdued all the nations. He caused the walls of Jericho to fall down. He sent this, this miraculous meteor shower to destroy with huge rocks the soldiers only from the opposing army. None of the people of Israel. He caused the sun to stand still so the people could win a battle. He subdued the nations. And what do the people of Israel do? As they move into these cities which they didn't build, as they start to farm on the land where they didn't plant, they see toppled over some statues of loser gods, lowercase gods, the gods of the people who lived in Canaan, the, 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 the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Termites and whoever they are. And they say, oh, look, at there's a statue, there's a god, and maybe, I mean... We should, we should set him back up and maybe put him up on this pedestal and maybe we should bow down and worship this. I mean, what? They're the loser gods. They couldn't rescue the nations that used to live there and yet they turned away from the true God who had given them this inheritance and trusted in false gods. That's why it's so incredible when it talks about Jacob as an individual or Jacob as a representative of the whole nation. Jacob whom he loves. And then the psalm the psalmist says, Selah. We've talked about uh, Selah as we've been going through the book of Psalms. Selah is a, probably a musical term. It, it means lift up. And so it could mean sort of, you know, just take a break. Lift up your hands from your instrument like a rest. Or just take a moment, sing that chorus again and let it sink in. And so just, just take a minute. Just take a Selah right now. Think about how messed up Jacob was and yet God still loved him. Think about how messed up the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness and then even the way they disobeyed in the time of the judges. 
and yet God still loved them. And then let's get personal. Think about your own life. Think about your own feels and fear, your own uh, uh, fears and failures. Think about the times where you've stumbled. Think about the times where you've actively rebelled against God and have worshipped something else other than him. It may not have been a statue. It might have been a job or a position or a certain amount of a prestige or a certain person or relationship. All the times you've turned your back on the great God. And then insert your name in the name where it says Jacob, whom he loves. Think about yourself. Think about how God has chosen to love you and to be merciful to you. Selah. Just pause and think about that. This is the God who we worship. And loved ones, Christ subdued a greater enemy than Egypt or the Canaanites. Christ subdued the greatest enemy, Satan. He, 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 he won the greatest battle, death. And he subdued those enemies in order to give us an inheritance, not just a patch of land in the Middle East, but but the glorious inheritance of this whole world in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. This is the inheritance that we have received. This is why God is worthy of our worship because he still chooses to bless and to love his people. Verse 5 says, God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Verse 6, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. Everyone clear? We're supposed to sing praises. Four times in the one verse. I mean, could he, could he fit it in there anymore? Sing praises. Christians are called upon to sing, to lift up their voices and worship. And he is, in verse 6, he is our king. Then verse 7, here's the reason why we are supposed to sing praises to our king. For God is the king of all the earth. Our king, the king that we know personally, the king that we love and that we serve, is the king of the whole earth. And again, sing praises with a psalm. Verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Now there's, there's something interesting here. You, you see in the psalm continually... The whole world, all the people, all the nations are being told to praise God. And the reason why, why they've been told that they should do that is because God has shown favor to one nation. That doesn't seem entirely fair, does it? All the nations should celebrate God because the nation of Israel has been given a promise and has received an inheritance. Why, why, why should the Canaanites be like, we just got subdued. Why should the Egyptians, God, you just smoked us. Why should we be praising you? And yet here it is, again and again. The whole world is supposed to praise God because of the way that he is choosing to treat his people, the people of Israel. Well, the reason why is because in Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham, he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
So let me show you what, what's, what's going on here. Let me show you a little diagram, okay? So this is our graphics department. It's a photocopier and a Sharpie, okay? And so that there, in case you don't recognize it, those are all the nations on planet Earth. And God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to bless one particular group. And that's what's being highlighted here in Psalm 47, the people of Israel. God has chosen to show favor and grace and mercy, to give an inheritance, to make promises to this one special group of people. Now, why should the nation celebrate that? Well, because... God said that through this nation, through Abraham and his descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, I didn't mean to leave out Alaska and the, and the Yukon there. Um, I, just didn't have a, I just didn't have a bowl large enough to trace on the, uh, on the piece of paper. But that's God's design, his intention. He blessed Israel specifically so that he could bless every nation globally. That's his design, his ultimate plan, and that blessing ultimately came uh, through Jesus Christ, as we'll, uh, as we'll see. In verse 7, going back, it says, For God is king of all the earth, and sing praises with a psalm. Uh, there's a footnote um, beside the word a psalm in, in my Bible. Do you have it there? It's, it's, in Hebrew, that word is a masculine. And if you look back to a Psalm 45, you'd see that masculine is listed at the beginning of Psalm 45. It's also Psalm 44 is called a masculine, and Psalm 42 is called a masculine. It's a, it's a kind of psalm. It's, it's some sort of term to describe the way that we're supposed to sing. Now, that same word is used to describe uh, priests in 2 Chronicles 30. It's translated skillful. That we're supposed to sing praise in a, in a skillful way. I'm thankful for the skillful musicians that are a part of our uh, worship team who use that skill. In Amos chapter 5 verse 13, that word masculine is used to describe someone who's prudent or who's wise. There's a real, in, in Hebrew, the, 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 being skillful and being wise is almost the, it's the same concept. That we are supposed to play skillfully, sing skillfully, sing according to wisdom. We're supposed to know the God that we worship. I remember a number of years ago when I was a, when I was a, a youth pastor and uh, we, went, we went on a, a bus trip to uh, Hamilton, Ontario to this big youth conference. Just thousands and thousands of teenagers. It was just, the hormones in that place were just unbelievable. And there was these powerful worship songs being sung and the speaker gave a great message and shared the gospel and people were coming to Christ and then the, the master of ceremonies got up and said, you know what, God is awesome. And everyone started cheering, yeah, God is awesome. And then he said, and he's doing amazing things here tonight. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. And then he's like, I want to let you know that the restrooms are located out in the concourse level. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. You see, the danger in worship is that we can just all get caught up in the feeling or, or, or groove with the song or, or whatever's going on in that particular moment and allow ourselves to get emotionally carried away without being intellectually and spiritually discerning. And that's what a mascal is about. That we're supposed, to, we're supposed to worship according to, the King James says, worship with understanding. We're to know who God, that's part of what we're doing right here. That's why I'm teaching the Bible, is so that we can worship better. We can worship with 
understanding. Verse 8 says, God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Notice what's happening in verse 9. The princes of the people, who really are just the representatives of the people, that's the leader of the nation, who's there to represent all of the other nations. So when he says the, the princes, it's as though all of the nations are there. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. All of the other nations are going to come and gather as the people of Abraham. I'll jot this down. This is the second reason why we can praise God and worship him as the king. Not only, that, not only because he subdued the nations to bless his people, but this is very encouraging. This is why the Canaanites and the Egyptians can, can celebrate who God is. is because he summons the nations to become his people. He summons the nations to become his people. Now, God has a plan for his people Israel. Even even today, he still has a plan for that specific nation. But he has a plan for all nations to be welcomed into the promises that were given to Abraham. Notice the language in verse 9. The princes of the peoples gather not with the people of Abraham, not beside, not behind, not kind of like. No, they gather as the people of the God of Abraham. Not out in the court of the Gentiles while the rest of the people of Israel move closer in the temple. No, the idea is that the nations are invited to come and be invited into the covenant people of God, grafted into God's promises. This is what we see in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Know then that as those who Those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. If you have faith in Jesus, then you are called a son or a daughter of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that means nations, by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's Genesis 12, which we read earlier. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We are invited into all of, all of what Psalm 47 talks about. God fighting for his people. We are invited into that place of privilege. Romans chapter 4 goes on to say, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe. We as, as, as non-Jewish believers in Jesus Christ have been given this unbelievable privilege that is poetically prophesied and predicted about here in Psalm 47, that the princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. That means people from Indonesia and India, from Canada and Kazakhstan, from Pakistan and Poland, from China to Chile, from, from Ecuador to England, the Netherlands to Nigeria, from France to the Philippines, people from all nations, every tribe and tongue and language and people group, are invited, God summons them to gather before him in worship. And how did God accomplish this? 
Well, at the end of verse 9, it says, For the shields of the earth belong to God. That means that all the a shield is a sign of strength. All the strength belongs to God. And so God uses his infinite strength, his infinite wisdom, his incredible power to summon people to himself. What was the greatest display that God possessed all the shields of the earth? What was the greatest moment in history where God once for all showed how strong he was, how great he was, how powerful he was? And then it says, that he is highly exalted. What is the moment where God lifted himself up? That's what exalted means. God showed that he had the shields of the earth and he lifted himself up. Let me show you how this all came to be. John chapter 12. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's entering into the city of Jerusalem. He gets his disciples to go and get a colt for him. And there's this big deal about him getting a certain kind of a colt that's never been ridden before. And all of that was to fulfill prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. Which prophesied that the king would come riding on a colt. And so along comes Jesus riding on the colt. says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out with a, remember, we were supposed to worship with loud voices. This is what they did. They cried out with a loud voice, Hosanna, which means praise God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Notice this, even the king of Israel. And so Jesus is that great king. He, he is, the, God's the great king who rules over the universe and God has come down to earth as the great king who's to be worshipped and praised in Psalm 47. But then in the same chapter, this is what Jesus says in John 12, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Jesus says, listen, there's been an imposter king ruling over this world and his name is Satan. And now's the time for him to be cast out. I'm going to subdue him. He is going to be cast out. He is not the rightful ruler of this planet. He's going to be cast out. And then Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The people said, Blessed is the king, the king of Israel. And Jesus said, You know what? I'm not just the king of Israel. When I'm lifted up, when I'm exalted, I will draw all men to myself. All people, all the princes of the people will come and gather as the sons of, of Abraham. Now oftentimes we stop there and we think, well, Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to himself. And then we sort of think about this in terms of worship. That when we worship Jesus, we lift him up and then that attracts other people to come and worship him. But the narrator goes on to say, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. How did God ultimately exalt himself? He ultimately exalted himself by sending his son to humble himself. He ultimately lifted himself high by having his son come and be very, very low. And that is how he drew all people to himself. You see, Jesus went to the cross. The cross is where we belong. The cross is where sinners belong. But Christ took our place. And the reason why he took our place is because we tried to take God's place. 
Christ went to our cross because we tried to take his throne. The essence of sin is us trying to live like we are king of the universe and that our way is better. Even the the smallest little white lie or seemingly insignificant sin is us living in rebellion and trying to overthrow the proper true king of this world. Christ went to our place because we tried to take God's place. We went to the throne. That's why Christ had to go to the cross. We wanted the applause. We wanted the fame. We wanted the credit. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden to eat the fruit, it wasn't about the fruit. What pushed them over to the edge to give in to the temptation was what Satan said to them. He said, if you eat this, you will be like God. You see, deep down in every, in every one of us, we want the praise. We want the glory. But Psalm 47 reminds us, reorients us, that, that no, we are supposed to praise God. Our life is supposed to be about worshiping Him and bringing glory to Him. And Psalm 47 points forward to what Jesus would accomplish. That all of the nations, even all the nations that are represented here, are invited to gather before God as our king. So that he could be exalted in our midst. Loved ones, this is who we worship. This is why we worship. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being summoned into your presence to know you and to love you. God, we thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and to die in our place for taking the punishment that we deserve for trying to take your place as King and rightful ruler of the universe. God, I pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that as we worship according to a masculine, as we worship with understanding, Lord, that we would would fill this place with your praise and your honor, that this place would be filled with worship and praise, with loud shouts of joy for your glory. So God, we ask that you would help us, Lord. Give us a clearer vision of who Jesus is. Give us a clearer vision of the gospel. Lord, work in our hearts in such a way so that we could truly worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.